In the dark of the midnight, I have oft hid my face, while the storm howls above me, and there's no hiding place. Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe, till the storm passes by, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky, hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, there is no hiding place, for there's no end of sorrow, there's no hope by and by. But I know thou art with me, and tomorrow I'll rise where the storms never darken the skies. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. storms come no more. Let me stand in thy presence on that bright peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more till the clouds roll forever from the sky hold me fast let me stand in the hollow of thy hand keep me safe till the storm passes by take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 today. Tonight I can't encourage you enough to uh, invite somebody out. We're going to be focusing our attention, at least in the preaching, on uh, evangelism. We're going to try to reach people. We're going to talk about a subject that will move people to salvation, okay? And we're actually going to be addressing the book of life tonight. We're going to be looking at the book of life. And so I want to encourage you to, to do that, all right? Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14, we're going to start there. I'm going to try to get this set up. I, good luck doing this, but it's the only way I know to do it. I, I tried to test it earlier, so it should work. Come on now, hold. There, look at that. Got one more, hold on. Can't leave you guys out over here. 
All right, we don't leave you out, boy. Wouldn't be good. There we go. Now, don't try this at home. Matter of fact, I'm really freaking out because I don't like anything on this pulpit. It's kind of freaking me out here. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, we're set, I think. Okay, here we go. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Let's begin reading there. We'll try to move along today. I want to get you out of here in good time. We've got a service tonight we're excited about as well. So let's go ahead and learn something. Let's see if we can't be encouraged from the Word of God. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Here we go. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans uh, write, <clears throat> These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Would thou wert cold or hot? So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation refer to literal churches. Seven literal churches are listed in chapters 2 and 3. Laodicea, of course, being the seventh in that list. Doctrinally, they deal with tribulation churches, churches that will literally be in the tribulation, while representatively speaking, they have a tendency to represent the entire church age from the time that Christ left to go back to be with the Father to the time that He returns in the clouds for us. These churches represent time periods or periods of time during that 2,000 years so far that we've gone on in the church age. And for instance, one would say, well, Ephesus, that church who had their first love and lost it, it represented a period of time between about 30 to 200 A.D. And then that Smyrna church, 200 to 325. And then Pergamos uh, represents the church between 325 and 500. And again, one says, well, is that, is that uh, uh, without a doubt true? I, I can't say 100%. But most people that have studied the Word of God, that have really dug into the book of Revelation, see the parallel, recognize the, the parallel between the time and what was taking place and what was written. And so it seems that it is pretty, pretty accurate, and I kind of think it is. But whether it is or isn't, the fact is, is that today we have a church, Laodicea, that we're reading about. And I want you to notice a couple of things about that church. First of all, let's notice the observation in verse 15. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, uh, cold nor hot. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to this church and he's utilizing the, the, the uh, pen of the Apostle John and under inspiration he's writing to the seven churches and we see here that the, the, the Lord Jesus speaking to this church and says, listen now, I've, I've observed some things. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. The Lord Jesus, He knows those things about us, doesn't He? He knows those things about His church. He knows those things about His people. And so we see the observation here. 
But notice the expectation. In verse 15, again, the second part of the verse says, Of course, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. That's the observation. That's the expectation. He said, I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold. That's what I'd want you to have. That's the expectation. Now, notice the nauseation. You know all these Asians I've got going here? You like that? It only took me about an hour and a half to figure those out. But nonetheless... Notice the nauseation, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says, it's nauseating to me that they're so cold, or uh, that it's, it's lukewarm. It's one thing to be cold or hot. It's another thing, lukewarm. Because thou art neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It's nauseating to God when we as believers are nothing less than hot. And even, he says, cold. That lukewarm thing, though, makes me sick. Notice the self-admiration. like those Asians. Notice what it says here in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good. Goods. Who's saying these things? The one that's lukewarm. The church that's lukewarm. And the church is comprised of what? People. If a church is lukewarm, guess what? The people are what? Lukewarm. And he says, it's nauseating to me when that church is lukewarm because it, rec- it, it reflects a people that are lukewarm. And the reason you're lukewarm or the evidence of that is your self-admiration. Look at how you see yourself, he says to this church. You see yourself, he says, you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's something. It's funny how we see ourselves versus how God sees us sometimes. Isn't that something? Someone says, well, I I certainly have need. I have need of more money and I have need of more things and I have need of more... Oh, really? When you really have need and you're a believer, where do you turn? No, the problem is is when we feel we have everything we really need, we don't turn to God. I have my own, I have abilities. I have an education. I have talent. I can make money. I can get what I need. I know how to do that. I'm very wise in the ways of the world. I can get it done. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for His house. I have time to serve the Lord. I have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time for that stuff. I don't have need of, I have need of nothing. I can handle this. That's the emphasis he's making. You say you're rich. You're increased with goods and have need of nothing, but you don't know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what he's saying to his church here, the church at Laodicea. Remember, if indeed what I started off saying is true, we represent a time period or an age of a church age that is Laodicean, which means it's a church age that as a result will say, We have need of nothing. We don't really need God. We have our machinery. We we have our our churches and our buildings and we have our air conditioning and our heat. We we, we have our our coffers full. We can build our buildings. We we, we have everything we need. We've got our, our, our tracks and we've got our handouts and we've got our plans and programs. We've got our VVSs. We've got all the machine in place. Who needs to really pray for the power of God to fall? got it all in place. 
It's working out pretty good the way it is. Because that's what the Laodicean church represents. A church that says, we have need of nothing. We're rich and increased with goods. We get into that new building and it'll be a, a nice building. And boy, the, the temptation is to be kind of like coast, you know. Finally, we can rest. Like it's really been that hard here, right? But we can rest finally. We've made it. We've arrived. Man, the work only gets harder and longer and greater because there's more of a, an opportunity to reach out. There's more of a, a greater influence there. There's an opportunity. People will see us. We'll be a higher profile. That means that we have more responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. Got to move on. Got to get to the message, right? Finally, the exhortation. Verse 18 and 19, the Lord Jesus Christ here, notice what he says. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in a fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes that thou mayest see. And he says, repent. Just repent, guys. Get it straight. I guess what I want to I want to note tonight, to this morning, is this simple thing, this simple thought here. It, you know, the passage simply says there, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What, what I take from that is this. God's concerned about our temperature. He's concerned about our temperature. I think he's concerned about our spiritual temperature. Not, not the physical one, 98.6. There's a debate now, of course. We're so smart now, we think that it, maybe it's a little lower, maybe a little higher. But you know what they find? When they still do all the studies, they still have it in every science book, that 98, or a medical book, 98.6 is still the number. And so that's the average temperature. Somebody, you might be a little lower. You might be abnormal. We knew that already. But anyway, if you take your temperature, you'd really notice it. And you may be a, just a percentage lower, a little bit higher. And that's okay, you know, as long as you're within that range. But temperatures are very important, right? And you know what? If, as a, as, if we have a high temperature as humans, of course, that means there's an infection usually in the body. That wouldn't be good. Well, spiritually speaking, I guess the temperature is not really as big a deal as far as high. We don't want a low temperature. We want a high temperature. We want to be hot for Jesus Christ. We want, we want a spiritual temperature that's soaring through the roof. So I'm going to take just a few moments and identify our spiritual temperature today. I want us all to do a little test. So I have these thermometers, and we're going to gauge ourselves on the thermometers. There's a scale from uh, 1 to 10 on the thermometer, and we're going to see where we fall in that area, okay? And so let's talk about this spiritual temperature today for just a few moments because obviously to God our spiritual temperature is important and in Revelation 3 it makes it evident very clear okay let's go ahead and pray Father we come to you help us Lord today we need you fill me with your spirit Lord I certainly am just clay Father and I desperately need you Father to fill me I don't want to say anything Lord that wouldn't please you and honor you and Lord I don't certainly want to uh, in any way Father do anything or say anything that would hinder or hamper your Holy Spirit from working in lives. Now fill me that I might be your mouthpiece and stand in my shoes that, Father, it would be thee, not me, the people here. And yet, Lord, they will see me and they will hear me, and so it's important that I'm right with you. Father, I pray, dear God, that you'd be with every listening ear, too, and you help them to recognize their responsibility to receive and heed the Word of God. Help us, Father, just to be obedient servants today as we listen to your Word. May we honor you in the way we listen and the way we share this truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, first of all, let's talk about that. Let's identify our spiritual temperature then. How do you do that? Well, let's start with just a couple basic things. First of all, let's talk about love for a minute. Because love often identifies our, 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 our real motives, okay? Let's, what's our love for God? 
What's our love for God today? In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. Turn there, if you would, please. Matthew, chapter 22. Let's see what the standard is. Let's see what God says we ought to do. We're talking about loving God. Just very briefly, we just want to run through a few verses here, a couple areas, and then begin to start maybe identifying our spiritual temperature today. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 38. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, What are the two great laws? What are the two great commandments, Lord? He says, Oh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Of all the commandments, you know, he, he has those ten commandments, we'll say, just for the time being, for the sake of argument, let's just assume the only commandments we have available to us are the ten. And those are the ones he's primarily referring to. Of course, we know that God commands us to do a number of other things as well. But, but in the Old Testament, we have Moses going on the mount. There's those ten commandments. And he takes those ten commandments and he boils them down to what? Two. Two commands. What's he say? The first one, the most important one, the, the one that bears the most weight, the one that carries the most weight, I guess. He says this, simply, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is it. What's your love for God today? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? I mean, that's a question. That's a good question, don't you think? As far as believers, we ought to consider that question on a regular basis. I mean, how's our love for God? All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, is that the case? That's a good place to start. First of all, if we're going to find our spiritual temperature, isn't it? What's our love for God like? Number two, the Word. Our love for the Word of God. In Psalms chapter 119, verse 126, the Bible says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Isn't that something? The psalmist says, man, I, I love the word of God more, more than I love fine gold, more than I would desire money, more than I desire any rich, riches in the world. I desire, I desire the word of God. It's, I have a premium on this book, a premium on the book. Notice what else he says in Psalm 119, 159. He says, consider how I love thy precepts given me, O, God, o Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Consider how I love thy precepts. He's talking about the Word of God again. A love for God's Word. Take your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Let's note a people that had a passion for the Word of God. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 11. I'm kind of doing a little bit of Bible study here. I understand that, but let's kind of set some groundwork and we'll move along. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 and 11. The Bible tells us, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Where is he at? He's in Berea now. These were more noble, those in Berea, than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures. Would they search the scriptures what? Okay, wait, they searched the scriptures what? I don't hear this side. They search the scriptures what? Well, oh, that's better. My left hearing's not as good in my left ear. But anyway, I don't think it is really. I'm, I'm not even joking about that. But anyway, um, I heard that though. No, I'm joking. But anyway. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they, 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 as the Bible says here, they received the word. It says they were 
readily, uh, readiness of mind, and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So what, what's going on here? We have a people in Berea who are in the word daily, searching the scriptures, not just reading them, searching them and making sure that what they're being taught, what they're hearing, what they're reading, it's true. And they have a passion for the word of God. They have a passion for the word of God. This church and its people have a passion for the word of God. And the other thing of the word of God, we need a hunger. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day, the psalmist says. I think about it all the time. I'm constantly reminded of the Word of God. I'm reminiscing concerning the Word of God. I'm reviewing the Word of God. It's in my mind. It's in my heart. I'm thinking about it, meditating upon it regularly, consistently. Let me ask you, what's, how's your love for the Word of God? How's your love for the Word of God? Finally, number three. I'm going to say the world, but what I mean is souls. You've got to have W's, right? Well, that's going to, God isn't really a W, is it? What did I do there? Oh, well, whatever. I got going pretty good there the last two. But anyway, we have the souls, the world, the souls. Philippians 2, 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So it's not just about us then. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stone of them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Boy, Jesus is really passionate about people, concerned about people, has a love for people. Romans 9.3 says, the Apostle Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He says, man, I'd rather be accursed from Christ. I would rather die and go to hell than see all my brethren go to hell and me go to heaven. I'll give my life for my brethren, for the Jew. I'll give my life for them, he said. I'll give my soul, my eternity for them. That's how much he loved the souls of men and women. That's how much passion and compassion the Apostle Paul had. Jude one twenty two says, And if some have compassion, making a difference. Let me ask you, how, how, how much do you love souls? How much do you love God? How much do you love the Word of God? How much do you love souls? Now, let me ask you another question. I'm going to get some input. How do you... How do you show your love for your wife, your children, your, your family? How do you show that? How do, you, how do you do that? Anybody want to share with me some of the things you might do to show your love for your family? Anybody? Okay, thank you for that hand. Be kind. I'm just setting the stage here. That's all. I just want everybody else to know to raise a hand. Yeah? Be kind. Your, your actions. Let's be more specific. That, that's true. Specific actions, yeah. You provide them with essential needs, food, shelter, okay, yeah. Okay, you spend time with them, that, that's good, um, over here. Okay, expressing your love through words, uh, yeah, affirmation there. Uh, anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay, so you, you step out and, and you say, okay, this is where we're going, this is what we're going to do because I... I care about you. I think this is valuable and important to you, so I'm going to teach and train you some things. Okay, yeah, in the back. Oh, you may even put their needs above your needs. Okay, that, that's an expression of love, absolutely. Anybody else? Maybe somebody over here too? Okay. 
Pr protect them, okay? We're going to protect those that we love. We protect them. That, that's, a, that's a good one, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, yeah, in the back? Yeah, we're guiding them. Not only are we maybe taking them to a place to get the right kind of tools, but we're also interacting with them, guiding them, giving them counsel, direction, guidance. Absolutely. Anybody else? Anything else? Yeah. Correct them, maybe. Yeah, if you love somebody, you, you might step out and be uh, honest with them about things. And, and, and if they're like your children, you may as far, go as far as, as spanking or correcting them that way, biblically, using the rod. Absolutely. That's a biblical word, by the way. I just saw somebody get upset right there. That's a biblical word, okay? I just, I just saw some people get a kink right there. I felt it. I felt the kink right there. I was like, yeah. It's in the Bible. It's really there, folks, okay? It really is there, okay? I, I'm not making it up. But nonetheless, so you're correcting. And then, like, even with a husband or wife, maybe we're, we're, our mind, we're going in the wrong direction a little bit. And, and somebody says, hold on, listen, I care too much to watch you go this direction. I want to correct you. I want to exhort you. I want to lift you up. Okay? Any, anything else real quick? Because those are all good. Do you hear some of those? Pretty practical stuff right there, right? Pretty practical stuff. Okay? Pretty practical. Now, before we evaluate our love for God, then, based on, I mean, let's face it. If we love God, right? We... And, and, and we really love him, then we're going to exhibit and demonstrate those same characteristics we just said we would demonstrate and exhibit to our husband, our wives, our families. I mean, how, do you, how much do you love God? If, if I really love the Word of God, then I'm going to demonstrate those characteristics and qualities and some of those things, you know, those, those aspects that we just talked about, and I'm going to apply them to the Word of God then. Amen. And so on with souls and people that are lost without Christ. If I really love, then I'm going to do the same. I'm going to demonstrate the same kind of, express myself in the same manner uh, with God, with the Word, and with souls as I would my husband, my wife, and my family then. Because that's love, generally being expressed. That's how we express love. Now before we go there and before you start charting your love then, I, I want to make sure I draw some truth out real quick. Because sure enough, somebody in the room is going to say, well, all you care about is what we do. You don't care about nothing but what you do. It's all about standards, and it's all about just a bunch of rules and regulations. <laughs> right? So let me, let me biblically handle that for you, okay? Let me handle that biblically, okay? First of all, that's important. You need to understand that. You ought to read your Bible, because there were Ten Commandments given for a reason. Because people need a standard. But let's go ahead and let's really go below that because there is more to it than just standards. It's not just about what we do. Let's take a look at that because I think it's very important. I want you to take your Bible look at John 14, 15 for a second. One of the big raps that we get in the Baptist church is that all you guys care about is your standards. You have no grace. You're so legalistic. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says that there's some things here. I'm going to preach something to you that you may or may not think this is legalistic. I don't know what you think. Legalistic, first of all, has nothing to do with standards. If you read your Bible, it has everything to do with your salvation. You start adding works to salvation, that's called legalism in the Bible. Outside of that is a made-up term by new evangelicals and ecumenicals just because they want to somehow survive themselves by it from us and say somehow that we're wrong. And so you need to move to their churches because we don't expect as much from you and you can still be right with God. Let me tell you something. God expects a lot out of me. We just talked about it in the back of our, in our, our Sunday school class that when we do everything that we're called to do, our duty to do, we are still unprofitable servants. Isn't that something? Let's go ahead and look at this real quick. John 14, 15. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, carefully read what that just said for a second. If ye love me, keep my commandments. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, you love me. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say. It doesn't say that. Did you, did you just see that? And I'm pointing it out. See, and I'm Baptist. I'm still pointing it out. Notice what it says here. It says, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then keep my commandments. It doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, you love me. So what, I'm, what it doesn't say is, if you just do all the right things, then obviously you love me. Do you know how most of us gauge our love for God? Based on what we do. And I'm not saying that that's wrong to some degree. Obviously, if we love the Lord, there's going to, it's going to motivate us to do some things for God. But hold on a second. Just doing things for God doesn't mean we really love Him. Just reading our Bible doesn't mean we love the Word of God. Just going soul winning doesn't mean we love souls. We could be doing all those things for the wrong reasons instead of a love for God, a love for the Word, a love for souls. We might be doing that maybe so someone thinks we're a good person. See, a person can outwardly comply with the commands of God and even apply an appearance of righteousness in their life, it seems, and still be corrupt and insincere in their heart. You can have all the outward trappings and still be as corrupt as corrupt can be in our heart. See, God wants every action to be motivated, motivated first and foremost by an attitude. And that attitude is love. Therefore, instead of simply looking or focusing on our outward actions, we need to first consider our heart responses. So let me run through a few. First of all, it's not your church attendance, but your attitude toward church that matters. Is that good enough for you? Is that below the line? Is that past the surface now? You just come to church. You're a good Christian. No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you God looks at you and says, just going to church isn't enough. Your attitude toward church is what matters to me, God says. So you can be sitting here today with a stinking attitude, and God's going, that doesn't please me a bit. And you no more love my word and love my church than the man on the moon. Oh, you sure look like you do, but you don't. Because I'm not just looking at your works, I'm looking at your heart. How's your heart responding? By the way, it's not just whether you're out soul winning. But are you really concerned about souls? It's easy to go out and knock on a door if that's all you want to accomplish. Anybody can knock on doors. Anybody can say, boy, hi, I'm Mark O'Donnell, pastor of Community Baptist Temple. You won't say that. But you'd say, hi, I'm so-and-so out in the area today uh, uh, from Community Baptist Temple, just out in the area today because we believe God's concerned about folks. And because God's concerned about folks, so are we. thought we'd come by and see if there's anything that we as a church could do to help you or your family today. Anybody can do that. You don't have to care about souls to do that. I mean, do you? See, God's not as concerned about you just going out knocking on the door, going out sowing as He is. What's your attitude toward the sinner? I mean, you really have a heart? Are you really concerned? Oh, by the way, this one's a good one. It's not just a matter of how you dress. Although it is important, by the way, if you read the Bible. But it is, it, it, instead, it's your heart. Is your heart? Here's the question. Is your heart beautiful to God? You say, well, wait, wait a second. What do you mean? Are you pure of heart? Holiness. Righteousness. Go ahead. Put on the nicest clothes. Maintain any dress standard you want. But let me tell you something. God wants to see whether you're pure and you're holy and you're righteous on the inside. 
Listen, I don't care. We go home and we look at that trash on the television sometimes. We look at the things we shouldn't see in the, on the web and on the internet. And we, we are involved in aspects of gossip and tearing people down and hurting others. Listen, God's looking at our heart. He's not just saying, oh boy, you sure look nice. When you went to church, you had a nice tie on, you had a nice suit jacket, Mark. Well, that's wonderful, man. No, God's going, I want to know what's inside. I'm seeing it. That's more important to me than what you're doing. Oh, by the way, it's not just you, whether or not you give your tithes and offerings. And you ought to. It's commanded. But do you do it joyfully? See, God doesn't, God's looking at it going, hey, is it enough just to give it? You say, well, I'm doing my duty. I'm doing it. I'm getting it done. I have to do it. I'll do it. God says, no. No, you're missing the whole point. It's an attitude that matters. Are you doing it joyfully? The Bible says that we're to do it not begrudgingly. We're to do it, we're to do it joyfully. We ought to be putting the money in going, praise God. Here we go. I'm giving my tithes and my offerings. Bless God. That's how that's, God's looking at it that way. He's not just looking at what you're doing. He's looking at the attitude that, that, that prompts this stuff. Oh, how about this one? This is a good one. It's not just do you wear a smile, but do you possess joy? Oh, we walk in the door. God bless you, brother. Good to see you. Amen. Glory to God. Happy in Jesus, brother. But down inside, we're miserable all the time. Life stinks. The world's crummy. Everything's a mess. Church time. God bless you. God's good. God sees past that junk. We're getting getting a little below the surface, see? That's where God lives. Hold on, maybe another one. Let's see this one. It's not just do you serve in the church, but are you surrendered to the Lord? You mean I'm supposed to surrender to the Lord? I thought if I was just doing those things, that made me right with God, so I had the favor of God on my life. I'm teaching Sunday school. Therefore, I'm somebody. For God, He loves me. I'm running a bus. Certainly that pleases the Lord. I should expect his favor in my life now. I'm serving him, so he's going to pay me back. Wait a second. I thought that the point for service was the fact that we were already surrendered to God, and it was a privilege to serve. I thought we did that not just so that people would see us and pat us on the back and tell us how wonderful we are and how godly we must be. I thought it's because we were already surrendered. God says, listen, I don't care about your service as much as I'm concerned about your surrender. Are you surrendered? So I guess I can ask this question, a couple of them. How are you doing with your forgiveness in your life? As we're getting below the surface, see? We're dealing with are we really, what kind of Christians are we, see? How are you doing with your forgiveness? You know that person that hurt you? person that harmed you? Abused you? No, seriously. How are you doing with your forgiveness? That's in the Bible. And we're not just talking about going to church now. We're not just talking about putting a smile on our face. We're not just talking about cracking a Bible and getting through your Bible reading schedule. I'm going to ask you, how are you doing with your forgiveness? How are you doing with that? I'm a good Christian. I do all this, 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 and this. Nobody can tell me I'm not a good Christian. I know. How are you doing with that forgiveness? How are you doing with that? 
You know, the boss passed you up for the promotion, gave it to somebody else. How are you doing with that forgiveness? Well, that's different. Nuh-uh. You know that husband that, that treated you ill, man? That, that, that didn't remember your birthday? Went out and bought a shotgun? And didn't even take you out for dinner? I'll show him. Well, how's, how are you doing with that forgiveness? Had to help you guys out. <laughs> ladies, same thing. Fellas, ladies don't... Well, huh, huh. How are you doing with that forgiveness? How about this one? How are you doing with that mercy? Showing mercy to people. How are you doing with that one? That, that, that's, that's more than just going to church reading your Bible, isn't it? See, Baptists believe in those things because it's in the Bible. We don't just believe that you have to have a bunch of standards to live by. We believe you ought to have standards, but it ought to be motivated from a heart of love. Amen. See, it reflects my spiritual temperature when I don't forgive. It's a reflection of my spiritual temperature when I don't demonstrate mercy to people. God showed me mercy. Why don't I show mercy to others? Maybe because I don't love God the way I should. What about that love thing? It's easy to love people that love us, right? What about people that don't love us? How are we doing on that spiritual, spiritual chart now? How, how are we doing on that thing? You know, what's your spiritual temperature? Now go ahead and figure it out. What are the kind of things that we do for husband, wife, and children when we really love them? And let's throw in on top of it the attitude by which we ought to be doing all those things. Because that's what God demands. Your love for God, where does it fall on the chart? One to ten. Where does it fall? Your love for God's word, where does it fall on the chart? Keep it just a mental note in your mind. Where does it fall on the chart? One to ten. Your love for souls, you know, based on, you know, how you love a husband, wife, children, and how you demonstrate that, how's your love for souls? Now, go ahead and take those three numbers, add them together, divide by three, and that's what your spiritual temperature is. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Figure it out now. Get it in your head. Remember what he said in our text. I would thou wert cold or hot. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. How many tens we got on all three areas? Don't, don't raise your hands because if you do, we'll know you're lying. Come on. Let's, let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? Now, we may not all, you know, this we not be, may not be at a one. Let's be honest, okay? You know, most of us in here, we're in church. So, you know, we do care about spiritual things, and that's commendable. But what God's saying is, that lukewarmness makes me nauseous. nauseous. You want to know why? Because it's called mediocrity. Middle of the road, just getting by, doing good enough. And God says, that's not what I want for my people. I can't bless my people if they just are run-of-the-mill, mediocre. I bless my people when they are hot, when they are in this thing. When their heart is right with me and it motivates them to live right, do right, and be right, that's when I can truly bless my people. And that's what God's goal is. He wants to bless you. Somebody says, well, this is, you know, we preach messages like that so that you can fill the church up tonight at the meeting. You preach messages like that so the offering goes up. 
You preach a message like that so that this church will grow and you can get a big name for yourself. Really? Why does God have a preacher say what I just said today? Because he wants you to benefit. It's not about me here. It's about you and me as individuals before God. See, you will not stand. I won't stand and give a, an account for your life. I give an account for my responsibility in my life. You give one for your responsibility in your life. And God said, I want you to know the joy of the Lord. I want you to have a life more abundant. I want you to know the joy of the Lord and to enjoy the blessings of God. But you won't do that, nor will I, if he's spewing us out of his mouth every day. And you say, I'm saved, so that'll never happen to me. Well, you might be as saved as saved can be. But if you want God's blessing in your life, you need to be close to Him. He needs to be close to you. So, what's the remedy? And we're almost done. We really are. I mean that. I mean, how can we improve? I mean, what areas do you need to improve in? Your love for God? Is that really what it ought to be? I mean, you, you tell yourself and God. How about your love for the Word of God? Is it what it ought to be? Based on how you would treat your husband, your wife, your family. You know, we heard some wonderful ways that we interact with our family and how we show our love. Can you apply those principles to your Bible reading, your Bible study, your Bible itself? Do you love it like that? Do you have a good attitude toward it? You can't wait to read it, study it, memorize it? Where's your love at for that word? What about souls? Is it tough for you to keep your mouth shut when you're around somebody that's lost and you know they're lost? And you're, you're going, I mean, you may say to yourself, I need to be careful. I want to make sure that this is the God's timing. I want to make sure I'm in the will of God here, stepping out, you know, and, and speaking at the right time, the right place. I understand that, and I'm good with that. But does something inside say, I've got to talk to them. I've got to talk to them. I've got to talk to them. How's your love for souls? How do we deal with a love for God? You say, I'm struggling with my love for God, maybe. Well, Proverbs 8, 17 simply says this, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Seek him early. Spend time with God in prayer. Go to him regularly, consistently. Simple. You, you, you want your love for God to grow? You have to spend time with him. Get in his presence through prayer. Don't take a vacation from your prayer life. Don't do that. Don't do that. By the way, if I was in town... I wouldn't take a vacation on my prayer life or my church. I'm just going to say it. I don't miss my church when I'm in town. This is where God put me. This is where I get fed. This is the preacher God wants for me. Well, I'm on vacation, so I'm not going to church today. What? What's that say to your children? How important is church to you? I want my kids to grow up and love God's house. Really? But you skip out when it's vacation time. You have these little rules that say, I don't have to go when this happens, this happens. The big game, man. Super Bowl night, I never go to church. What's that tell your kids? Where's that put God? His house. And then we wonder, they go stray, and we say to ourselves, man, that church ruined my kid. I took him to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I... They rammed God down his throat, and now all of a sudden, look, they're out running around the world. Yeah, it's church's fault. There you go. Yeah, go ahead and blame us. Blame the very people that loved you enough to see you saved. Loved you enough to make an investment in your life, to change your world. 
Go ahead and hate the God even that's hung on Calvary for you. Go ahead and blame anybody, anything you want. But the bottom line is, normally, normally, you've got to understand this is the truth. What the parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. And if I don't see God, number one, first priority, preeminent in my life, I'll guarantee you the kids won't. And they'll be worse than you. It's just life. It's a harsh reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. Say, boy, oh boy, you just got to quit going away to conferences. <laughs> Love for God. Draw nigh to Him. Spend time with Him in prayer. Then love the Word of God. You say, how do I do that? How do I get that better? Well, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Yes, you say, well, how's that? what do you mean by that? Well, see, spend quality and quantity time in the Word of God. And the more time you spend in the Word of God according to the Bible, the more your faith will grow. And by the way, as your faith is exercised and the Bible's proven true in your life then, <laughs> you're going to love that book more and more every day. You'll love it. But you've got to let God build your faith. And then as you exercise that faith and the Word of God in your life, you'll say, I can't do without that book. It's absolutely necessary in my life. We, we act almost like we're going to wake up one day, Lord, give me a love for your Word. And when you give me a love for your Word, I'll read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it. I'm waiting on that love, Lord. Give me that love, Lord. You're asking for the wrong thing. You need to do something. God's already given you His Word, and faith comes by hearing. You get in that book, and your faith begins to grow. I guarantee your love for it will grow, too. So quit praying about it and just do something about it. I, I don't want to continue to... I don't want to be mediocre in my love for God's Word. And, am, I, am I attend? By no means. It's a constant battle in this flesh, in this life. But by the, the, the honest truth is, I don't want to land in the middle somewhere. And I don't think you do either. Or you wouldn't be here. And then finally, love for the world or souls. How do we deal with that one? Lamentations 3.51 tells us. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. My eye affecteth mine heart. See, Jeremiah is the writer here according to the word of God. He's, he's under inspiration. He understands the secret of compassion. You know what the secret of compassion is? The eyes. You know why they, they show you all these starving children? They want you to give. They know that if you see starving children on the, the television set, it'll prompt you to have compassion, which will ultimately cause you to open your wallet. Why they show all these dogs and animals being, you know, look like they're all like. <laughs> you ever see those commercials? Okay. Why do they do that? They want you to give to their cause. And they know that the eye affects the heart. If I see that poor dog that's been abused, it drives me nuts. And I'm going, man, somebody needs to help these dogs. And these poor dogs are being abused. And somebody's got to come to their aid. I pull out my wallet and give some money. Your eye affects your heart. It's a reality. The world understands that truth. It's a biblical principle. Guess what? You want to love for souls? Get out where the souls are. See the hurt, the heartache. Go knock some doors in some parts of our city. Get out with a bus captain that's dealing with some of those that are hurting. See if it doesn't affect your heart. I'm not talking about just knocking a door. I'm talking about you really look past the door and you see what's going on inside. So here's the question. Where do you fall in your spiritual temperature? 
Just those three basic areas even. And if indeed this is the case with you, if, if you are mediocre in an, one area or maybe more, aren't you tired of mediocrity? I mean, don't you want more out of your Christianity than what you've got? Doesn't your heart long for something more than going through the motions and just getting by? Wouldn't you like to experience the presence of God in a very tangible and real way? Wouldn't you like to hold the Bible in your hand and know that it's affected your heart this very day? This day. Wouldn't you be happy to care about others in a way that moved you to witness to them, to win them, maybe to work with them, to help them? What's your spiritual temperature? One to ten, where do you fall? Let's be honest with God and ourselves. If you could be whatever you want to be on this scale, where would you want to be? Not what are you, but where would you want to be? One to ten. Now the question is, are you willing to take st the steps necessary to get where you want to be with God? That's the real question. It's not rocket science, is it? We all know enough to know what we need to do. The question is, are we willing to do it? And if we want to see revival in our hearts, in our churches, in our world, our community, it's not going to happen until the people of God get past this mediocre, mediocrity level. The lukewarmness will not get that done. And all the machinery that we have in the church will never, ever accomplish what God intended it to do. And that is to truly transform this world one soul at a time. God help us. Where or what should I say is your spiritual temperature? You say, you didn't preach at all to the lost today. Come back tonight. That's what we're having service tonight for. We're going to have a good time learning about the book of life. Or at least making an application. So get ready. It'll be fun. I hope. But today, the real question is this. What's your spiritual temperature? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to reach where you'd like to be on that thermometer? Father, we come to you.